Welcome to Enterprise Design's Industry Insights, where we identify key topics in the commercial real estate industry. I'm Ann Weston, Director of Design Services. And I'm Jessica Green, Director of Client Services. For this series, we're discussing market trends with Dallas-based commercial real estate professionals. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. here. Awesome. Uh, for this series, we're focusing on the topic on key issues for tenants and their representation. Grant, what are the biggest challenges you are facing with finding space for your tenant? Um, so our business is pretty much bifurcated between two segments. We have an industrial and an office expertise that we focus on. And, and they're two drastically different challenges right now, um, trying to find space. So industrial, it is we're out of space. We, we can't find space fast enough and the options are limited. They're expensive and it's highly competitive. Office, the office segment is, is still competitive, um, but through pandemic, we really, I mean, we went through a whole lag for 18 months. And so uh, now what we're seeing is, is landlords really trying to entice tenants to come to the building and various buckets of concessions. And so um, we, we are seeing that turn back to a more competitive landscape, um, but just two different challenges in both segments. So I don't know if Ryan has anything to add to that. Yeah, I think like Grant said, the industrial space, is it's impossible to find space for those users right now. Um, the office space, I would say that um, many of our clients are looking for a, an improvement in the space that they had. And so that flight to quality uh, has been uh, harder to find as well. Some of that office space has been harder to find. So with some of these, this is kind of an off topic question, but speaking of industrial, with some of these clients that you're having that they can't find the space, I mean, what are you kind of telling them? Is it like, are you guys seeing like a lot of construction underway for a lot of these industrial buildings or what are they doing with their current space? Well, right now? <clears throat> we just finished an acquisition with a group looking to buy an industrial building that we were really sent on the mission over 15 months ago. And so it took 15 months and an expanded search area of what they originally said. They said, we wanna be here within two miles we ended up expanding it to 10 miles and we captured a building on the fringe that they considered because of their, their need. Their, I mean, it was a dire need for their company to grab yeah. the space. And so um, five, six years ago, by way of example, if you had a 50 to 100,000 foot industrial transaction, you had a myriad of options. I mean, you could, couldn't count them on you know, both hands and feet. Um, when we did a search for a simple 50,000 foot box, we found five options in the same submarket several years later. And so it just shows the shrinking supply of what industrial is. Yeah, I think developers are trying to bring product to market as fast as they can. Uh, and so there will be product eventually. But for now, we're in this place where it's hard to find. So our clients are, like Grant said, expanding their search, looking uh, in areas that they weren't necessarily focused on initially cobbling space together so they thought they needed you know they wanted 15,000 feet but they're just going to piecemeal fives and tens together to get to that so they're just having to make adjustments that they wouldn't have five years ago. Well, and with the developer you know I know that there are some you know jurisdictions in some areas that have controlled growth so you know I've also seen that you know a development may be underway but it right. may stall out based on the controlled growth of that area that it was intended for. Uh, so deals may not happen because, you know, a place that was supposed to be built and, you know, be underway may not uh, happen for at least another five, 10 years. Wait, so you're saying there's delays in construction? 
<laughs> Delays in construction, but not just due to lead times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess kind of kicking off on that, um, Ryan, I'll start with you and Grant can pitch in. Um, are you seeing that deals are taking longer to execute? If so, why? I know we're kind of touching on it a little bit, but just kind of. Yeah, yeah, I would say yes, they are. Number one, the search is taking some time, but then once we find the building, uh, negotiate the lease, get into that process, it is taking longer and it really bogs down around the construction piece and um, finding out you know, how much is this going to cost before we make this five, seven, 10 year commitment, uh, that there has been a, a major slowdown. It's just taking longer to get those numbers back from, from subs and contractors, but then there's also a bit of a shock of, whoa, it's gonna cost us this much and now we have to think through this you know, a bit more. So yeah, I would say there's definitely a delay. Legal? Any involved with legal taking longer? No, I mean our, our partner councils are mm -hmm. always great about turning things around quickly because right. they know times of the essence for our client. So it's not really so much legal. It truly is construction. I mean, this is this is a micro discussion for a macro issue really right. at large right now because um, the micro side of it is you know we have ten or fifteen clients we're representing at one time between the two of us. And so we see it on all of our deals from 2,000 feet up to 20 or greater um, on the office side. Um, and what's going to happen is we are seeing tenants saying no. And when they say no and they don't do the deal, the, land <clears throat> the landlord does not get the business. The general contractor also does not get the business. And so it's this trickle down or trickle up effect that something's got to give and it's got to be construction pricing because it affects landlords' rates that they charge. They have to raise their rates to get the TI met. Lenders are only approving a certain amount of TI to even distribute to the tenants. And so there's just all of these forces fighting against each other right now that are making our job very difficult. And I mean, we're, our job is to advise the client. And we said, hey, if you want this space, you're now going to have to truly pay for it where Five years ago, it was landlord TIs were healthy enough to have a budget and then some to maybe pay for some ancillary costs. So, Yeah, the landlord is only going to go to a certain point, right? And so then the tenant has to make the decision on, are we going to cover that delta? And like Grant said, there, there are tenants who are saying, no, we're not going to do that. So do they revise their plans, adjust down to get in, inside of scope? Or do they say, pencils down, we're going to think of something else. We're going to go to another location. And so that all, all of that uh, causes the delay. Are you seeing any difference between uh, the local groups or the groups that are actually from out of state that are coming here and a difference between the time it takes to make a deal there? Uh, I think one of the things that came up recently is that you know, if you have someone that's out of state, you know, they may do more tours or they might tour the same space multiple times, which wouldn't have happened with a local group uh, because they just don't have all of the entities here to do that first tour. Are you seeing any of that? So the majority of our business is local. Um, so I, you know, we're, not, we're not calling on companies outside of the state necessarily. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, a way to answer that question would be, you know, we represented a billion dollar company that was backed by Mitsubishi with Equipment Depot. They made their leasing decision industrial within 45 days. They toured the facility two or three times within the, a course of a week to 10 days. 
Um, and they knew what they want. They were well capitalized. They had a big balance sheet and they were willing to invest in the facility. I think what Ryan was kind of hinting at is that you have these small to mid-sized companies up to about, you know, we represent companies, you know, we'll represent as big as they, as, as we can grow them. Uh, but generally by the time they get to about 250 people, they're, they're selling to a bigger entity that could be global. That's represented by somebody else out of another you know, part of the country. So when we get these small to mid sizes in here, it's taking multiple tours, multiple levels of thought, um, right, wrong, or indifferent. I mean, it's all relative with, with cash and balance sheet, but their balance sheet isn't as strong as the billion dollar company. And so you just, that's what's causing the deal fatigue at the small to medium sized business. But when you look at an office building, it's really comprised of small to medium sized tenants. It's not all full, full floor tenants. So office landlords need these small to medium sized deals to keep their building alive. So, um, but that's, I mean, those are two just op polar opposite examples of big, well capitalized, small to mid sized growing, you know, conservative with their cash. Well, and on Equipment Depot, so they made a decision in 45 days because we found the one location that worked for them and they realized we need to move quick. This industrial market's crazy. So they, they moved on it, they jumped on it. Great, that's awesome. So what are the most helpful tools, research, or advice from vendors that play an important role in guiding your clients? I think one thing that's helpful is, is helping our, guiding our clients to know what to do with their space in this post-pandemic world, right? And so what are the new trends? Uh, how are people using their offices? Are they hoteling their desks? Um, so there's, a, there's still some confusion on what that looks like. And so any of the research that we get from partners like you guys to help us think about, okay, how do we go reconfigure the space that we had? Or if we're gonna go start afresh and with new space, how do we build it properly to get those, to get our workers back into the space? The vendors and tools specifically, I was gonna put back on you guys and say, this is why we lean on you. I mean, we've, we've worked with a handful of architectural groups in design that have led our clients, not intentionally down the wrong path, but they have the highest end treatments to everything. And you get the bid back and you're like, how is this $55 a foot over? Oh, we used you know, acoustic sound padding and all these things where our, our client just really needed kind of a vanilla with chocolate finish, you know? Right. And, and, and so I think having like a vendor between the architect and design partner and the general contractor saying, okay, best in class, highest in cost, achieves the same look, but you're gonna save X. I mean, that's what we're, we're having to lean on everybody around us to help really tell the client, this is your team. I know we're representing you and they may be paying your design fees, but we're all trying to help you save money, get the look you want and get in the space on time. So, I mean, it's a total team effort right now with all hands on deck. Yeah, and for us, we definitely wanna make sure that we are being a good team, a good partner. Transparent. Um, transparent about all of it. And also having those conversations with the client up front about what is most important to them. Mm -hmm. What are, you know, the key things for them? You know, are there key areas? Are, you know, there things for their culture that are really important to them so that we can focus on those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they have a budget in mind that we know that up front so we can design to that. Right. And, you know, if there are spaces that, you know, we can still make it look nice, but not, you know, on the high end as far as a price point goes, mm -hmm. um, just communicating all of that is really beneficial for us and having those conversations up front, even, you know, with the GC, 
right. in the space planning uh, stages of everything, getting rough, uh, rough order magnitude numbers from them is right. really important as well right. to kind of gauge that expectation. And I know it's really hard for them to, um, to get a price off of a space plan, but if we can associate, you know, maybe it's $75 a square foot in this space and, you know, this area over here is, you know, maybe $95 a square foot and then they can kind of balance and see what right. that comes out to you. Sure. Yeah, I think that's the, that, that's the challenge. I mean, in lieu of developing a full set of CDs right now that are permit ready so we get the most accurate bid, I mean, we're trying to do um, extensive pricing notes to right. basically lead the GC to water to tell us within, you know, I don't know, 10% plus or minus that this is going to be a good pre-bid mm -hmm. um, because most of the time you're right. It's just been kind of fly by the seat of your pants for all GCs and go, oh, no, I mean, I, see, I just did a job like this and it was 60 bucks and then they you bid it and it's 85. Well, I didn't right. know you had this, this, and this. Right. Um, so those are the things that we try to eliminate, but it's it's hard right now. It is hard. Well, and that, that gets back to a little bit of the delay, right? So if we're going to try to get to solid numbers, then it's just going to take longer. Got to go through more steps to get to that number. And, and time hurts. I mean, it's been since I've been in the business. Time hurts and heals deals. And it generally hurts. I mean, it generally hurts. And so I think that's time is always of the essence. And I mean, one of our core concepts at our firm is we hustle. And it really is painful to hustle and tee up the deal and then go pause and then you know, have to backtrack for six to eight weeks on trying to tighten architectural construction, all the things that are giving our clients pause. And I think just at the end of the day, I kind of touch on it, but transparency, like even if it's good or bad news, like you guys are needing to go back to your clients and let them know. Sure. And so like the more information we can give you or even just high level of what's going on and touching base, that's what's important to help sure. with timing of these deals. So, um, so on to the next, uh, what do you see tenants requesting the most from a building? Two-prong, space and building. Yeah. Um, the space needs to be more like their home. I mean, coming out of the last two years, it needs to be comfortable, relaxed, open, casual, and have those little lounge areas or, you know, if you're going to take a brain break, go plug in, watch TV somewhere, but just have something that feels a lot like what we just went through for the last 18 to 24 months of working from home. And then a building, Ryan said it earlier about this flight to quality. That's the real deal right now. We've had multiple clients that have really chosen to spend more money at a new building because it is fully amenitized. Don't even know if that's a word, but I think it is. No, it is. Uh, we're going to go with it. <laughs> You're right. uh, but the, yeah, the amenities in the building are golf simulators, tenant lounge, yeah. fitness center, outdoor lounge space, all the things that make a connected building for the tenant to go, you know, I'm tired of being in the space. I'm going to go down to the lobby, plug into the Wi-Fi down there and chill mm -hmm. and work. And so, you know, for the decision makers, your employees are still in the building. You know, what do you care about them being in the space? And so I think that's what a lot of CEOs and, and C-level um, employees are thinking of right now is going, okay, well, how do I get people back to the office? And that starts with the, the building and the amenities. Yeah. yeah. That's, I think that's a real question that the C-suite is trying to wrestle with right now is we went through the pandemic and had all the issues with, we lost culture. You said it earlier, and how do we get that culture back? Um, and so how do we lure our workers back into the office? And, and like Grant said, it's, it's got to, we have to have a space that's comfortable. Um, that they want to work in 
and, and that they're excited about coming to. And so... Um, like a hybrid style, that's what you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we see, and in, in, I know it wasn't the question, but I mean, we see everybody doing fully back. Nobody's really back. And then mm-hmm. the bookend, let's take Monday, Fridays off, but you're going to be in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because, Same I mean, even lot. us, I mean, we're, we're decision makers of the firm, and we, we have to decide how we're going to implement our own culture and how many days a week we're going to be in the office. And our, ours is a little unique to where we're not, we don't have to be in the office because we're usually on site with our clients. So we, you know, we, right. we utilize our office space less than most, but, right. um, but it's a really big challenge right now. We're trying to figure out how to help decision makers overcome and get there. Yeah, we see a lot of that, you know, involvement in recruitment and retention, sure. you know, creating that fear of missing out, you know, making yeah. sure that the space really reflects the culture like we talked about, um, but also getting people in to, you know, have training, have mentorship, you know, really yeah. build those relationships and have an investment from the employees in their company. Uh, and that just completely facilitates the whole retention uh, conversation and you know how do you get people in it's making them comfortable making it exciting um, basically having them have a desire to come back into the office and then you know that whole conversation that I know all of those c-suite people are uh, having issues with of you know if, if somebody's not visible to me then you know what is going to drive me to have them move up the ladder more quickly than someone that I do see on a regular basis right yeah, and then you have jobs like tech and development that are non-critical to the, they're critical to the daily function of the business, but they don't need to be in the office. They prefer, you know, it's kind of like the, the dim lighted area so they can, you know, headphones. yeah, headphones on. And, and so I think a lot of those functions, the C-level people will say, okay, those employees, I mean, they don't need to be in the office as long as they're getting their jobs done mm-hmm. and they're developing best in class content quality, whatever it is. What, what do I care? And do I really need space for them? And so this is this is a challenge right now. I mean, or do you just need collaborative space, like touchdown space, right. really, to come in real quick if you do have, like, a meeting or you need to meet with someone on the right. team? Too. Yeah. So yeah. And that goes back to some of the building amenities. So if you're going to have less space for yourself, mm-hmm. the building needs to have some kind of conference facility where you could have a larger meeting. So, so then going to that, the next question, it mm-hmm. kind of feeds off of that. Um, are existing tenants keeping their same amount of square footage? Are you seeing an increase or a decrease? I, I thought about this one. I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've, I've flipped the coin. What do you think? I flipped the coin. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're seeing both. Like uh, everyone. So the the pendulum swing, right? So pandemic, everybody went home. Everyone thought we'll never need office space again. Done. Done with office space. <laughs> um, and so then it was a comeback of. The, the pendulum swung back with, hey, we need some kind of space. Do we need the same square footage that we had? Probably not. We could probably send some of our teams to work from home on a more permanent basis. And so if we're gonna take less square footage, well then, yes, let's increase the quality. Pricing remains the same uh, on a monthly basis. If we can go have a nicer building, less square footage. So we're seeing a good bit of that. Um, we're also seeing some some that don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, here's one thing for for certain. Uh, no matter the health protocols of the United States and the world, we are back to full heavy desking. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We we we've 
represented the full spectrum of political decision makers from liberal to conservative in both sets are saying we want to utilize our space efficiently and we are getting, we're getting back to the office and we're gonna put everybody in Veridesk elbow to elbow and we're gonna fit 50 people in seven to 8,000 feet. So for the people that are saying we're going to come back and create a culture in the office, there's none of this, okay, we gotta have dividers. And I mean, I think I'm, I'm speak just for a lot of the people we represent Absolutely. is that a lot of people are just over the fear factor of what we just went through and that we're powering through saying, Okay, I'm not going to go heavy-walled office and take 40% more square f square feet because I I'm worried. Um, I think we're better in an open and team environment. So that's, I, I really think it is a hybrid of we've had some clients cut space, we've had some expand, and then we've certainly had everybody saying densification is not going away. So Right, or kind of making transition from, hey, I was in an office building, now I'm going to be an industrial building because it makes more sense right. for what I'm doing. Sure. So. I think that all goes back to, you know, the whole part of the conversation where we need to figure out exactly what, you know, the target points are. Mm -hmm. You know, if the tenant is looking to have everyone back in the office, whether it's, you know, one day a week or five days a week, you know, you need to have a spot for every single person. Uh, and if you don't have a spot for every single person, you're never going to reach that goal. Mm -hmm. I feel like this next year will be a really interesting year in office just to see, I mean, it's, it's incumbent upon the decision makers for all companies to draw the line in the sand and say, you're coming back. Now, I get it. Over the last 18 to 24 months, everybody was afraid. The biggest companies obviously were lawsuit ridden if they forced somebody to come back and they got sick. Mm -hmm. But at some point, this will be fully in our rear view. I think we're getting there. Um, and then I think that's really going to change the way the office is viewed. Um, right now, I mean, it's still kind of tiptoeing out of that period of time. Um, but, you know, these hybrid functions will likely only last for so long, too, until somebody goes, what are we doing that for? Why everybody just, everybody needs to be in. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, again, that we're there yet, but that, that is the next step of returning to what we consider normal in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think that will be a, the new normal is the, you know, probably work from home on Friday, maybe work yeah. from home on Monday, pick a day in the week. But to get people back into the office, like Grant said, is, is super important, uh, especially for those small to mid-sized companies that weren't necessarily set up for the, to have everyone work from home. They weren't set up from a technology perspective mm -hmm. necessarily, so. Yeah, uh, and that's huge technology right now right. in space and finding it yeah. an appropriate amount of technology that you need. Even going to that though, I think even pre-COVID, like before COVID, a lot, at least some of my friends' companies, like they had half day Fridays or they would like, I think no. we were already kind of trending in that way yeah, in a sure. general. So like, I do kind of see it kind of staying more of like kind of a hybrid, but at the same time, depending on your role mm -hmm. and what you do in the company, it is always good to be there. So. And it all depends on the size of the company exactly. as well. Sure. You know, global you know. companies were already doing hoteling right, on right. a large scale basis sure. uh, right. prior to the pandemic and, you know, reducing their square footage and kind of putting people in hubs right. uh, to make sure that they could take advantage of the square footage that they had. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we are seeing more of the smaller tenants kind of consider the hoteling aspect. But like I said, you know, if the goal is to have everyone back, 
then you really do need to create a spot for them in the office. And it doesn't have to be an office or a desk, but it has to be a work zone or a right. workplace that they can plug in, they can get their work done efficiently, and they feel like they're part of the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think even pre-pandemic, it was either Chase or some uh, some large company that was that had like their desk pods, and it, you never had a dedicated desk, so you can put your picture out on the desk, and you had a locker, and you just go plug in and work at that desk. And so there are a lot of big companies that were already doing that. That's just a model that's really not effective for the majority of the companies we represent, um, unless you're big tech or a global company, like you said, but um, I definitely think with rising rates across the board, across the country, specifically in Texas, everybody's going to be concerned with how do I conserve space and make it the most efficient for for their use. So So kind of ending it on this question, and I know we've kind of touched on certain things throughout this conversation with it, but what is the trend that tenants are requesting for recruitment and retention? What do they come and ask you kind of best scenario for those? <laughs> it's, well, I mean, it's, it's something that we touched on earlier and we can jump off it again and just, it, it first depends on the company and what they're trying to achieve. So, I mean, we represent all different types of industries with decision makers that want to keep the office fun and casual and you know, hip and cool. And then some that just like, Hey, like this is a place to come get your work done. I mean, we can have our lounge couch, but like we don't need to have like all the distractions. Um, and so I think um, trying to, it's really our job up front to dig in, you know, what, what do you want in this space? And then we educate a lot of our clients and what we see is the latest trends and buildings to see if that hits home with them. And a lot of it just goes back to, okay, well, our advice, and I was on a call yesterday um, with a, a CEO, and she said, um, I, I, I've been in this building for eight years. I'd like to just make it easy. I don't want to have to deal with the move. And I just said, if you can listen to what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to compel you to go do something, but it would really help for you to go tour four or five buildings. They're a little bit more expensive, but what you'll get is X, Y, and Z. And I think you just need to spend two hours. And if at the end of that, you say, great, no thanks, fine. You know, we, we did our job of, of fully exploring it. And so I think that's, that's a broad way to answer your question, but it, it's just different for every client. And um, the latest trends are just everything that we see of the, the comforts of working from home, like I said earlier. And, I don't know if you have anything else, but that's... The only other thing we didn't touch on earlier, I think, was the amenities around the building. Sure. So uh, we've seen you know, decision makers just trying to decide between two buildings, and one has all the restaurants within walking distance, and one does not, and they choose the one with the amenities around the building every time. So... Um, that's, that's something we didn't touch on earlier, I think. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that as well. You know, it's the campus feel that's over right. the office building feel. Yeah. You know, the office building of, you know, the 80s is no longer valid. <laughs> Everybody wants the convenience and the walkability to, you know, not have to get in their car and go drive somewhere just to get lunch. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and outside. last thing, you, you sparked a, a thought on the 80s. Um, we have seen one building specifically from the 80s brought to 2022 and our client that had the decision to stay in the building of the 80s or go to the building of the 80s that was brought to 2022 he decided to move next door yeah and so that is that is a huge trend that will continue and uh, one of our, our peers and colleagues that trained and mentored us in the business said i don't know how class b buildings will survive if if the owner does not 
you know, bring these amenities forward um, to now. Otherwise, you're going to just continue to see this. I'm saying, well, we're seeing a huge influx of that. Are we doing lobbies or what can we add to this? Because, you know, at the same time, they're having to compete within their own class B market and not try and go up to the A to raise rates that high, but also be competitive in themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they may not fully amenitize, but they may do, right. you know, kind of a scaled back version where mm -hmm. you have like a training room and a grab and go and a lounge all right. in one rather than, you know, taking over quite a bit of space in the building that, you know, would be leasable. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely something that's happening in those class B buildings that will get people back into those buildings. Sure. No, that's important. I mean, everybody needs to have a cost alternative. I mean, the market begs for it, but everything's rising in rates. And so you just see, you see a $5 a square foot delta, and that's where we're seeing decision makers go, well, that's not that much. And that's why they'll, they'll make the jump. But if it's 10 bucks a foot, if it's 15, I mean, Uptown, Deep Ellum, all those pricing, prices at you know, 70 gross, you're going, okay, that's, that's a big time business decision, so. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you guys taking the time with us today and being on our podcast. Um, Such a great discussion. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Enterprise Design's Industry Insights video podcast. Please follow us and subscribe to our channel or visit us on our website at enterprisedesign.com. And look for our teaser video highlighting the next episode. We look forward to seeing you then.